right. So happy Father's Day. Um, technically, the, the card industry says it's tomorrow, but we're doing it today. So um, there we are. Like Mother's Day, and we're stepping out of Matthew just for this week because of, uh, because of Father's Day. So um, we're just going to be focusing on um, primarily God as our Father and what that, what that looks like and what that means in us, um, for us. Like Mother's Day, um, Father's Day has, brings lots of different thoughts for us because um, we all have different backgrounds. Um, there's hurts and disappointments, and there's precious memories. Some of us have lost our, our, our fathers at one point or another, um, and so there's a, a great feeling of missing them on this particular day. Um, we can have joy. We can have gratitude. If you've got little kids, it's a big deal because they want to do something um, on those days. My wife, for instance, um, her, her dad passed away a month after she was born, and uh, her mom never remarried, and she grew up with her mom and her grandmother. So they never celebrated Father's Day until um, we had kids, and then Father's Day became a, a big deal, um, at least for a while. It isn't anymore. You know, <laughs> you, know how, you know how that goes. I'm trying to remember. I don't think we ever f- celebrated Father's Day in our house. Um, we, we, don't, we, don't, we went out to de- eat every Sunday after church, and so on Father's Day we went out to eat, and I think my mom would give him a shirt, and that's about all I remember um, doing for my dad. Um, that sounds terrible. But um, I've shared a bit about my own father in the past. Um, I've got a couple pictures up here. Um, so on the far left, um, he's about 14, 15 there, 16, somewhere in there. He was, my grandfather did a radio Bible show, and so um, he was required to be one of the MCs for it. He looks like my son Micah, I think. Just throw some more hair on there. Um, in the middle, it's, uh, he had been at Wheaton College for a year, turned 18, entered, the, entered World War II, um, if you see that picture up close, seriously, he looks like he's 13 years old. Um, it's just kind of hard to believe. Um, he signed up to be a medic. They gave him two weeks of training, and he was a medic, and that's what he did. Um, it, with his, one of his cars, I remember my dad had, I remember six sports cars in particular that he had because he'd trade them up every few years. Basically, he, he completely wrecked every single one of them. They were all told, everyone, he'd get another one and wreck it, get another one and wreck it. Um, he was... Uh, Anyway, I got a couple more. Um, that's me, I think, at one of my brother's weddings with my dad. Um, my dad loved the scuba dive. They did a lot of that. Um, he passed away four years ago. He was independent. Um, he was extremely intelligent, um, smart, successful. Um, he was a prankster. I've shared some stories about that. Um, we had a, every day we had to examine our lunch before we ate it because he would do something to it, whether it's a guinea pig droppings that he put in the raisins that my mom would pack for us. Um, he, my mom would give us hard-boiled eggs, and I remember my sister, he, he just switched a regular egg out. And I remember we were in junior high, and she went crack and went, went all over the place. He would put cellophane on the bologna and tiny little pieces of cellophane on the top and bottom of the bologna sandwich. So he'd bite into it and pull it off. You'd just get the bread, and it would just slide off. You wouldn't get any, any of the bologna. So all the time he did things like that. Um, Lots of good things. He's an extremely charismatic uh, personality. Um, and I've shared also here that not all things are good for me in our home and the things that went on with my own dad, um, which I'm still kind of walking through today. But yet much of who I am today, much of the parts of me that I value to, um, I got from my dad. Um, much of it I got from him. I was always consistently received favor and encouragement from him. Um, and I can say I knew what it meant to belong. Um, that I belonged where I was supposed to be at. 
and I was received in that way. So he, um, like I said, he passed away almost five years ago. Um, so a few pictures, just to pass it along. The truth of it is, and the thesis today, is that um, even the very best father, those of us who are fathers, and those of us who had fathers, we all did, um, is not enough to navigate successfully through life as believers. It's not enough. Um, it's a helpful thing. Having a, a difficult father or, or painful things can deter that and get in the way, and God wants to, to pull us from there. But even the best of fathers and a great relationship with their father is not enough to walk through the life God calls us to. Um, we have to understand what it means to have God as our father. Um, and the truth of that is because we were all born with the father, the scriptures tell us. Guess where our father was? It was the first Adam. And the first Adam passed along something to us that wasn't very good. And it's a sin nature that just goes a different direction. And that was the inheritance that we received from him. Um, that line of Adam is not a good one. And it basically left us orphaned to God um, and apart and with an inheritance. By the way, we did get inheritance from our first Adam. And it's one of separation and lostness and, and failing to get the things that God intended for us. On this day, uh, tonight, I want to remind us that there's good news, and there's another line that we can be brought onto as believers, um, and it creates an entire different timeline for us with the second Adam, and we can be born into that, and most of us here have. When we came to Christ and ex- received him by faith, um, we actually were born into a completely different um, timeline. When we come to Christ, we're born into another heritage, another family line, and it's the line of the second Adam, the line of Christ himself. And just as our earthly and fathers significantly, for good or for bad, and probably a little bit of both, um, impact the way we see life and the way we live, so understanding our Heavenly Father can also have a greater impact in the way we walk and the way we live and how we see life. And I would contend that nothing is more foundational to victory and an abundant Christian living than understanding, embracing, and affirming what God has done for you in Christ and who you are as his child with him as your father. Nothing is more foundational to living free in Christ than understanding God as your father and what that means and what it means to actually be his child and then embracing that truth, which we'll talk about how to do that tonight. Knowing our father gives us identity, belonging, and a new family heritage. Um, Every Christian living defeated, and we can all raise your hands quick, I know what it looks like to live as a defeated Christian, I believe have one thing in common, one thing in common, a failure to know and embrace who they are in Christ and what it means to have God actually as their father. Many of us receive Christ, we understand God's our father, but we haven't really figured out what that means and understood what that is, and we kind of keep it at a distance for many different reasons. So what is true about us? And then seeing what is true, will we embrace it and live life from that truth? Um, I'm going to be teaching out of 1 John 3, Verses 1 through 3, very familiar, and I'm actually going to focus primarily on verse 1. We're just going to pick it apart, but let me read this verse, three verses for you. First John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone thus hopes, who thus hopes in him, purifies himself 
even as he is pure. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, And I would ask uh, for tonight for myself and for all of us that we would um, both be able to grasp in our minds the truth of your word, but then that you would take it and penetrate our hearts so that it would take root and change how we walk and how we live and how we think, that we may be a a light in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm going to stay mainly with verse uh, 1 here, um, but I do want you to take notice of these three verses. You've never noticed this before. The first verse in 1 John chapter 3 tells us who we are, and that's what we're going to talk about. The second verse tells us who we're going to be, and actually it's just a fulfillment and a completion of what he's already done. Um, it just, he just clears out all the rest of the stuff that's in the way. And then the third verse there is what we should be. Verse 3 is basically if we grasp the truth of the first verse that we're going to look at, a life will flow out of us of purity and right living, and we'll have a desire to do so, and we'll pursue that. And so basically verse 3, the purify yourself and walk rightly, comes after the first two verses. Understanding the truth of verse 1 produces the realities in our life of verse 3 there. But I'm going to stay primarily with verse 1 because there's more than enough here for us um, to take hold of. So I'm just going to walk us through kind of phrase by phrase here. And the very first word is what? See, or your Bible might say behold. Nobody says behold anymore except for angels, right? They say behold and they show up, right? When they, when they say that, what are they doing? They're saying pay attention, right? Pay attention. Um, it, just to take note of what I'm about to see here, John steps into this section. He's basically saying, I want you to get what's here. Stop whatever you're doing. Make sure you pay full attention to what I'm about to say. Um, to take it even further, it means to look. And this will be up on the screen. To look into the truth of this and don't look away from it until it penetrates your heart. So it's a little word. This is a big thing. So he says, see, and we're supposed to stop going. I'm supposed to pay attention to what's here and keep paying attention and keep paying attention and keep paying attention until it penetrates our heart and stays there. Because as John has shared before, we talk about what I really believe impacts what I do. And so we've got to see the truth has got to get there. And the only way to do it is to pay attention to it over and over again so it starts breaking through the things that would get in its way. So John starts off here, and he says, this is, this is life-changing, getting hold of this. This is what I'm going to share with you is what you, you got when you came to Christ. And we don't always get it. It doesn't penetrate. So pay attention until it gets all the way into your heart. Most, one of the most significant steps to embracing the truth that you are God's child is to spend time again and again and again meditating on the love of God. Meditating on the love of God. Looking deeply at its beauty and the wonder that God actually loves us. Um, We say, yeah, God loves me. That's great. But the scriptures are just from Genesis all the way through, especially the Old Testament, is, is just filled with things about the love of God. And then it just gets poured out over the New Testament. And looking, so the seeing part is, I'm just going to keep going back to this thing about God loves me. What does that mean? God loves me. And because we have a, we live in a world where that's so mixed up and our own hearts get mixed up with that and we didn't always experience all that was meant to be, it takes a long time to penetrate. What does that really mean? So he says he wants us to look at that. I think one of the number one jobs of a, of a father um, is to give our kids just a glimpse, if we can, just a glimpse of what the father's love is like. Cause it, so that when they actually encounter it, they're going, I've seen that before somewhere. I've seen that before. 
Um, and as dads, we, we give them some sin, right? Um, and we, we express things that are not that kind of love. Um, but I think our number one job is, is the more the better, but even just a glimpse of going, I got a piece of what God's love is like for my father. It's the best thing we can give our kids. And then when they see it, they recognize it and they want to take a hold of it. And the truth is, some of us um, got some of that. And so it's like, I, I got a piece of what God's love is like. And wow, that God's got that for me. I, I'll take it. I want more of that. And some of us didn't get any of that. We got the opposite. And so understanding what does it mean that the fire loves me is, is a, it just, there's no clarity about what that means at all. It just, it just brings hurt and pain. And we didn't get that picture um, at all. And so he wants us to meditate on his love. Just as dads, it's giving enough that when they begin to encounter the love of God, they're ready to really embrace God's love because they've already experienced a foretaste of it. And as I said, for many of you, for us, um, we didn't get that in any degree at all. Um, and rather, perhaps you receive perhaps the very opposite um, and hurt and pain and abuse and something that was the totally opposite of the Father's love. And so it becomes even more important to be meditating on the love of God so we kind of get learn what it is because we don't know what it is. The Spirit cries out in this passage, Behold, look at this. Don't miss the wonder of what I'm about to say here because it's the key to walking victorious in Christ. So the first word there is see. Second phrase is what kind of love. See, some of your Bibles say see what manner of love or the, 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 the kind of love that you've got. The words here could be translated see a love that's completely unknown. A love that comes from another country is the idea here, from another planet. Um, when it says what kind of love, it's, it's a love of a completely different nature than what we're used to, something different. It's past comprehension. It's a love without counterpart. It's something perhaps we've only got a glimpse of or have never, ever seen before or dreamed possible. So he says, behold, pay attention, look. And what are we looking at? We're looking at something that maybe we've experienced a little piece of and many of us have never experienced before. And it's beyond comprehension, so we're never going to get it fully, but we've got to pay attention to it because it is something so different. We've got to get familiar with it by going to it again and again and again. So what kind of love is it? Romans 5.8 eight says, God shows his love towards us, and when did he do it? When we were enemies, it says. When we were hostile. When we were separated from him, Christ died for us. A love that was at its very fullest when we are at our most rejecting and unlovable places is when he gave it to us. Ephesians 3.19, Paul says he wants to know the love of Christ that surpasses all comprehension. Something that's behind, beyond comprehension is another kind of love. And the only way to know it is to pay attention to it over and over and over and over again. I love this, um, John 17, 23. Um, it says that the, love, the Father loves us in the same way as what? Dave, same way the Father loves the Son, right? Same way the Father loves the Son or the Son loves the Father. The Father loves me the same way that he loves the Son. Now think about that for a minute. If you want to talk about something beyond comprehension, I always think we, the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're one, okay? I get that. And there's a love there that we can never understand, but I'm, we're second, right? We're down below here, and he loves us as well. Like the kids that he welcomes into the house, you can have the guest room kind of deal. Um, and it's not like it. He says, actually, the father loves us the same way in which he loves the son. 
And there's no way we can ever comprehend that unless we go to it again and again and again, because it is a love of a completely different kind. Um, none of us have been loved that way except by God. And he says that's the kind of love that God actually has for us. So is that unbelievable? It is. It's, it's, um, we, you can't grasp that. And yet the grasping of the truth of it is what's going to unleash us in our victorious walk with Christ. What is the love like from the Father to the Son? It's intimate. It's everlasting. It's without any hindrance. It is free. It is, is pure. It actually sustained Jesus on the cross, that love. And that's the love that we have um, from the Father. So C, and then second of all, what kind of love? This love that we couldn't even comprehend. And then the third phrase says that the Father has given to us. So um, I got encouragement from my dad, but I know it's mowing because I, what I did got his encouragement, and I figured out really quick what to do to get it, and I was the best of the four kids at doing those things. So um, my sister just got it because she was the youngest, and they get everything they want, right? So um, my brothers didn't get it at all. Even when they did the right things, they didn't. It was just they got criticism, um, but it says here that the Father gives us this. Ephesians 2.8 says, um, By grace you have been saved through faith, right? It's not of ourselves that we can't boast, but it's what? It's his gift. He says, I'm giving to you. And we just read before, it's when we were the farthest from him and enemies. He says, I'm going to give you this love, this love that you can't understand, this love that I have actually for my own son. I'm just going to give it to you. And you couldn't give me anything to repay it anyways. And by the way, I gave it to you before you gave me anything anyways. And so it's just yours. Um, we can't earn it. There's nothing we can do. It says, it's interesting, it's given, and therefore we have to do what with it? Receive it. By the way, which that's the hard part in some ways. We receive Christ to save us, but really receiving and saying, I, I'll take that love. Because there's all sorts of parts in us going, no, I don't deserve it. I can't have it. I need to earn it. I need to do this and that. I did this this week. All these things that rise up in us that, that keep it at a safe distance in some ways. And he's going, I just want you to take it. Take it. So it's given and received. It's not earned. Um, I think Micah says, Mike has said this several times, that, uh, or Cameron, that we can never do anything to get him to love us more that we have all of the love of God, the same love of the Father for the Son all the time. And so at my moments when I have just gone this other way and I'm, I'm pursuing some dead path, I still have the same love of the Father being bestowed on me as when I am just on target, you know? Um, it's the same. That's hard to believe because nobody treats us that way. It's not earned. And by the way, it's never forfeited. Um, we all know what it means to have disappointed somebody or wronged them, and you can just feel this distance. And a lot of us really feel that with God the Father because that's what we grew up with. And so when we do something or we're just not walking the way he wants it, we believe that God has taken a step back like this. And the truth of the scripture, he's not. He's always there. Um, the Holy Spirit resides right within us, and we have his full of all time. We cannot forfeit it. Have you ever been given a gift that is so overwhelmingly good you don't even know what to say? And so you say thank you, but it doesn't seem like it does very much. Um, as a family, we've received several, several gifts here on different things of cars and different things here that have been so timely and so overwhelming, there's no way you can say thank you. I mean, you just you don't know what to say. And that is the love that God gives to us. He says, it's, here it is. 
and it's yours, and everybody else is making you get earn it somehow, I'm not. I would never do that. I'm just giving it. I'm just pouring it out on you. And he calls just to say thank you. And even, even thank you hardly gets to the heart of it. What he wants us to do is receive it. I can't remember. Somebody shared in one of the messages a little while ago. It's like you're giving a gift and you don't take it. You just kind of leave it sit there. And it's like, gosh, as dads, when we give our kids gifts, we want to go, yeah, this is awesome, right? We just want them to grab it and go with it. And that's how God wants us to do with that same thing. The father gives good gifts to his children. Everything that he has, he gives. And he finds his greatest delight when we say yes every day to that gift. Yes to it, yes to it, yes to it. It's interesting that um, uh, Paul in Galatians talks about the fact that Galatians received that gift going yes to it. And then what did they do? Then they stepped back from it and they began to think they had to work for it. And he's saying, where did you get off track? It's, just, it's always yours all the time. And the, the, the things you do for him flow out of that, but you don't have to do these things to get his love again. Where, how'd you get back on that trail again? And I would say because it's really easy to go down that path. It's really easy. And he says he just wants us to receive it um, as this free gift that it is. I know that some of us here, some of you have a hard time um, embracing the truth that the Father loves you. Um, many of us have been handed a lie from the enemy that we could never, ever get that kind of gift. Um, or we'd have to do a whole lot to ever get it. It would never quite be ours. It would just be dangled in front of us, in a sense. Or if we do some things, we'll get pieces of it at a time. But there he, he stands, and he loves us, and he offers himself as, as a true father. Um, and some of us, because um, we never really experienced that from our own fathers, um, the truth that God loves us and just gives us that kind of love um, is just goes right here. It just, it's like, I don't get it. Um, and we have a hard time taking it. And so we struggle, struggle, struggle. So close your eyes just for a minute. Um, I think it would be appropriate to, um, in your own heart, um, give him thanks that he is, he says, the Father has given you that love. It's yours. All of it. Not a piece of it. It's not meted out little at a time. Um, you don't get less than somebody else. Um, the Father has given you love. And if that's hard to take and hard to receive, just be truthful with God. Tell him that. Ask him to break through. Um, ask him to touch your heart with the wonder of his love. Amen. The last phrase here, it says that we should be, it's a long one, it says that we should be called children of God, and so we are. So I actually, it's, there's three things here, but I'm putting them all together because I can't separate them out. Um, it all goes together. The first thing it says here is that we are children. It means we have a new father. That's what it says. When it says that you're children of God, then God's my father. I've got a new father. In Christ, when we come to him, we get a new father. Things change. Before Christ, it says that we're children of wrath, that we're children of the first Adam, that we're actually slaves to sin. And we aren't even children. We're just enslaved. But in Christ, when we put our trust in him and he steps into our life and changes us, it says that we become children of God. We don't start becoming. We become children of God. 
there is a complete transfer to a new line, um, the line of Christ himself. Um, and I'll talk about more of that as we get to it. It's, we got this line of Adam, right? And that's what we're born into. And it's got a bad beginning, and it's got a bad end to it. And that's where we are. And when the cross intersects that timeline for each of us, wherever that happened with you, we actually get, we don't just kind of continue a new line. We actually get pulled off that line, and we become his children with a new father. And that father has a whole different past and a whole different future, and our heritage completely changes. We are actually transferred to an entirely different line. We're something that we were not before. So we get a, a new father. And I'll go back to that in a moment. Second of all, um, we get a new name or a new identity. Um, we're identified by his children, it says here, by getting a new name and a new nature. It says that we should be called. We're given a new name, which is a good thing. A new identity. It says that we are called. We get a new name. I am now called what? His child or his son, his daughter. Scripture tells us that we're now called beloved in him, that we're called accepted. I'm identified by God's name um, in a sense. Um, it's my very identity becomes changed by his name that's placed on me. Uh, my family, as I just said, my family of origin is now not so connected with my own dad, but now my family of origin is connected with God the Father. And I realize that that seems um, hard, hard to, it seems like it's out here somewhere. To hard, was that? The fact is that's what the Bible says. That's what actually is true of us. Not just someday, not just as a nice idea, but we're actually transferred to an entire different line, and our, our, our origin is a different place. And because of that, we have a new name and a new identity. My new name as this child gives me a new identity. I've said before that our identity that we have in Christ determines meaning in life. Identity determines meaning in life. When I understand who I am, it shows up in where I find meaning. When I still understand and think that I'm still part with the old Adam and that God just kind of comes along every now and loves me here and there, but my life is still the old Adam and that's who I am, that was where I will find meaning and purpose in life and it won't be a good one. Even that's why as Christians, we can struggle so much because we think our identity is still the old self and that's who we are. And so we live that way. Um, and we, yet inside it just isn't right. We know it doesn't work. Um, and so he says, I've transferred you and given you a new name. You're my child now. We get God's, I, God doesn't have a last name, I don't think, right? But whatever it would be, that's what we get. And it gives us this whole new identity, and that determines our purpose and meaning in life and how we live. If we can embrace it and understand it. Paul uses a, a, a metaphor for it. He calls it adoption. Ephesians chapter 1, 5, he talks about being adopted into God's family. We get his name we, we become his, his heirs. We get everything that he has, which is a great picture. Um, and the Greek word in, back in Ephesians for adoption means, um, it comes from two words, meaning son and position. And so when we get adopted into his family, we become sons, and we have the position as sons and daughters um, in his family. We're legally given a new name, and with it we receive all the benefits of sonship, which changes everything. It's like I'm lifted to a whole different family. But it's interesting here, John is going to take us a little further than that even, even further, or add on to whatever we want to look, look at. As amazing as adoption is, his wordi wording points to even more. He, he points to a new birth or a new nature. So we get, um, we're children of God, and we get a new name, and we get a um, new nature, which even goes further. Um, it says this, says that we should be called 
children of God. And then what does he say after that? I mean, he already just said it, right? He says, and so we are, and that is what we are, some scriptures say. And I always thought that's just an emphasizing the truth, which it does, but actually the phrase there means something more. It's talking about our very nature. When he talks about what we are, he's talking about our very nature changes when we come to Christ. So I get this new name and a new heritage and an inheritance, but John goes further and says, it's like you are born all over again, and so now you don't even have that earthly family anymore. You are actually born into a completely new family, completely reborn, not just added into, but there's been a rebirth, which we call being born again, right? But that goes further than just getting salvation. It's actually, it's as though we cease to exist and are born again with an entirely different father again. He emphasizes the truth of what he said, but it goes beyond that emphasis and introduces a deeper change that has happened, a change in identity, but also a very change in our nature. Um, like I said, we're reborn into the line of the second Adam, and in being reborn, we don't just get a new name, which we do, but we actually become, what, new creatures, right? New, new is not rebuilt. New is not fixed up. I've, I could tell you some stories about my Jeep. Um, I had a crazy story going to Flagstaff, and it's, I'm rebuilding it all the time. Um, it, we got in here, now the clutch is going out as of yesterday, and fixing it up because I love it, but it's, it's still, it's just getting fixed up, right? He didn't fix us up. We actually get a new nature. We're, we're reborn in something that we were not before. How great is the love of the Father? Well, it goes beyond rescuing us, which is a good thing. It goes beyond sacrificing. It goes beyond mercy. He goes so far as to make us into something that we actually were not before. The scriptures say what? We are crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. What happens when you get crucified? You die. And we often think that our, our old nature is still alive, and we just added this other nature alongside, and they fight forever. And the scriptures tell us that we actually died with him. Uh, Romans 6 says that we were died with him, we were buried with him, and we were raised to walk a new life. And that, that old nature died. And we're given a new nature, new people. We still fight because our, our outside and the world and the flesh and the devil, these things war against us and we follow these old patterns. But who we are inside, according to John, is fundamentally different than we were before we came to Christ. Completely changed. So I have a new name. I have a new identity. And I actually have a new nature. A new nature. And the devil wants to make us think that that's not true because every time we think a different thought or do something different, he's going to tell us you were just like you were before. And the truth of the scripture is we are not, actually. We're clothed in his righteousness and we actually have a new nature. The very core of who I am, according to John here, is actually transformed to be his sons and daughters. It's not just he's being nice and kind of let me join him, but he actually changes who I am through new birth become his son or his daughter. If you're a believer tonight, you may not believe it, but you are not the same no matter what has been going on and what you think and what you believe if you came to Christ. You are the very child of God. You actually have a father that's actually your father because you were reborn into his family, not just added in there. Perfect in grace and love and care and acceptance and power. So this great truth that we're we get this name, we're children of God, we're adopted into his family, we get all of his name and his inheritance, and beyond that, we're actually not even the same anymore. We're actually reborn to be in a different family um, with him as our father. 
So what do, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Let me just suggest three things. And I think this is one of the best verses in the Bible, by the way. I just think it is transformative if we can get a hold of the truth that of God being our father and that we are his, completely his children and all that that would mean. So three things here I'd suggest. First, focus on the love of God and your identity in Christ. Um, all the time. And for some of us, that is, it just seems so unbelievable. There's everything wars against it. You've got to go to the scriptures and just start looking up all the places where it says about the love of God. Just go to those places over and over and over and over again. We need to saturate our mind with it so it gets down into our heart. And focus on those places that talk about our identity in Christ. And I have actually, um, I've got two sheets here. One of them is, um, and you can go on the internet and get these. They're all over the place. This one actually comes from Neil Anderson. It just lists all the truths about who you are in Christ. There's a ton of them. And you could, if you want, you can pick one of these up, and you just read them over and over and over again. It's just God's word telling you what is true about who you are in Christ. Um, and some of us just got to read it a whole lot to get it to, to penetrate and get through our heart. So focus on the love of God. Maybe make it your summer project. You're going to just read through all the verses talking about the love of God for you, and you're just going to be saturated with it this summer and your identity in Christ because they go together. Second of all, in the process of looking at God's great love for us, I guarantee you're going to see what your own loves are like. And we're going to realize that we don't love God sometimes very much, that we love a lot of other things um, more than him. There's things that we should love, but they're out of place with him. And so as you work through meditating on God's love, I'm going to guess that you'll, your heart's going to be revealed to have some other loves there that maybe shouldn't be there or need to be put in priority and prioritize in a different place. So the second thing might be some repentance because um, those things will get in the way of really experiencing and enjoying God's love. And so don't be afraid of it. Let, it, let God show you those things because he wants to clear them out so we can experience his love in greater ways. And then third of all, Paul uses the word reckon, which we never use around here. Um, reckon means to count on something as though it's true because it is. So the fact that God loves you that he is a father who has poured himself out on you, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that you're his child all the time, no matter what, that you have the fullness of Christ abiding on you. That truth is like here, right? And sometimes you bring it close and it, it's there. And Paul says, count on it. Count on it. Just reckon on it. Walk in the day as though it's true. And guess what happens? It eventually begins to work its way into our heart where we actually really begin to understand the truth of Scripture, that it really is true. He says, look at what is true and then count on it. Live as though it is true, because it is, even when it seems too great to believe. And that the fact that we have the love of a father and what that love is like, for some of us, that's too big to believe. So we have to count on it over and over and over again. Count on the word of God and count on the faithfulness of God. We're going to celebrate this table. It is a picture that God loves us. How could we not love him when we see what he's done for us here? Um, I have a second handout here. Um, I gotta remember what it is. Um, if if the idea of God being your father and there's some hurt there, if there's some real hurt there, pick up one of these and it basically it, it contrasts the love that some of us got from our fathers, which was a distant love, a stern love. It could be passive or cold or absent or impatient or cruel. Um, all these different things, and it, on the other side, it contrasts what the father's love is really like. And it may be just going to these things over and over again. So we'll actually go, God, I have a father that really 
loves me. And, and that I could grab a hold of that. And it's life-changing because it, it shares us our place as children. So some here, here, if we run out, um, I'll get some more. I can print them up easily. Brian, if you can work your team back up front here. Uh, we're going to sing three songs. Um, our worship, we, we gather together and wait on him. We listen to the word because we want to submit ourselves to it and let its truth penetrate our heart. And then we, we gather around the table as part of a response to him. It's to say, thank you. This is what you did. Um, and both the table as well as our singing is our, our way to respond um, to what he's done um, in us. The table is a weekly formative reminder that we are recipients of salvation, that we're recipients of new birth, that we are loved by the Father, that we have a new identity, and I love this, that we have a place at his table, and it's always for us, always for us, as we gather around that place, um, and he looks for us. So let me pray for the bread and the cup, um, and then the table um, is open. If you know the Lord, let's celebrate God's good love around it. Even as we were singing earlier, Lord, some of the, the words um, as we raise you up and they touch our hearts, um, and yet in, in the course of our week, um, there's all sorts of things that rise up in us. And um, thank you, Lord, for some good fathers and dads who really gave their sons and daughters glimpses of what your love is like. And even then, it's sometimes it's hard to believe your love for us. And then for others of us that um, it's such a foreign idea, we thank you for this table that you, um, you sent your son, that you, you took, went to the fullest length to pour grace and mercy and love to make us your children, fully your children. And so as we gather and as we sing um, about your goodness and your grace and that you are our Father, may you be exalted and penetrate the truth into our hearts. We need, to, we need it here. So do that amongst us in Jesus' name. Amen.